0: Hello and welcome to the Irish Times Book Club, one of the few book clubs in Ireland where the author of the book we're reading gets to join in the conversation. My name is Gary Quinn and this month we've been reading Mary Costello's first novel, Academy Street, published by Canongate. We are very, very glad to be able to welcome Mary into the studio. Mary, you're very welcome.
1: Thank you very much, Gary.
0: We're also joined in studio by two of our book club readers who haven't read your work before, Mary. Our first reader is Orna Mulcahy, who in real life is editor of the Saturday magazine here in the Irish Times. And our second reader is Lorcan Collins, who himself is a writer and one of two editors of the 16 Lives series of biographies published by O'Brien Press. Mary, I really love this book. I was really captivated by the character of Tess. Where did she come from?
1: Uh, she would lingered in my head for a while. Um, I didn't exactly know, I don't know exactly when she started, but I had um, a character in a short story in my first in my first book, The China Factory, there was a character there, a little girl whose mother had grown up in an old house called Easterfield. Um, Easterfield was in my head and Tess slowly gathered. Um, my mother grew up in a big old house in the west of Ireland, just like Easterfield in the novel, so I modelled Easterfield on that. Um, and there, were, there are some biographical detail and geographical details that are, you know, um, that co- align with my mother's life, and my aunt's life. But the book is fictional. Tess is fictional. But my mother lost her mother when she was three, um, and when I was a very small girl, I was very very close to my mother. Well, I still am. But um, and at some stage, I became aware that she had lost her mother when she was a child, and. That thought sort of really got to me in some way. I couldn't imagine being without a mother. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, I had known the old house, I had known Easterfield. When I was small myself, it was a big old house. It was quite bewitching in ways. It had an avenue into it and a gravel courtyard and two stairs and lots of rooms and a gong in the hall, an orchard and fields. Um, and later I discovered, of course, that it had been used as a famine hospital during the famine, as a fever hospital, and, you know, because the local workhouse were, was overcrowded. And um, there had been 400 and something patients there at one stage, many of whom died, 171 died. I looked up the records. And some of them, the unclaimed bodies, were buried on the grounds. Um, And my mother and her sisters would have played there as little girls, unaware of the tragedy beneath their feet. So there were a lot of things that came together. Um, Mm -hmm. My mother didn't immigrate like Tess does, but two of her sisters and a brother did. And one of her sisters was a nurse in Manhattan. and she, she stayed in, in New York just for four years, but she nursed Cole Porter and Mrs. Roosevelt. Really? And she lived in a flat on Academy Street, which is up in the northern end of Manhattan. And, uh, but she came back after four years and settled in Galway. But she's, she's in her 80s now, but she always told me stories about New York. And of course, everybody has always been enthralled by New York anyway. You know, yeah. if, you're not, if you're Irish, I think you love New York.
0: Exactly. Orna, how did the, tell me about how the characters worked for you.
1: Um, Well, I just have to say
2: I I loved her. I really, really loved her. And I really wished that she had had her mother or failing that, a good friend who would be able, who would have been able to just, you know, help her in the early stages. Now, she did meet a wonderful woman once she had the child or just, you know, before she had the child. But I I really felt the lack of in her of somebody who she would be able to talk to and who might have drawn her out of herself because she's in herself so much and she's a terribly sensitive, she's a beautiful, sensitive woman, um, maybe too sensitive nearly for the world. I mean, on the one hand, she obviously was a very practical, skilled person because there she was working away in the hospital and well able to bring people from life, you know, into death. But in her own life, outside of the hospital, she was... It's almost as though she wasn't able for life, for, for real life, and a mother would really have been able to help her maybe make the choices. Even if she didn't listen to her mother, maybe the... Res- what, The things that mothers say at critical points in a young girl's life will stick, even if they don't listen at the time. They'll stick things like, you mustn't go with that man or he isn't good for you or he will let you down. I mean, they're awful, you know, sort of cliches. But actually, she could have done with somebody like that. And uh, I really felt for her. And I, I sh- you know, it's she's true,
0: actually, what you say. It hadn't occurred because there was something I was what is she missing? And I think she, you're right. She was missing this sense of or this this teaching i guess from yeah, from a how mother do you,
2: how and i don't mean you know how do you you know actually behave in in the world because she fell in love madly enough and i have to say it's probably the best account that i've ever read of somebody in love it uh, to me it was it was knockout you know the passages where you talked about her um just wanting to be you know alone all the time so that she could think of him. It's, it's beautifully, beautifully done and it really, you get the absolute sense that she's in totally, you know, caught up with this man. Um, so I don't mean that she shouldn't have done what she did with him. I just mean that she had nobody to tell her what the long-range view might be. Um, and
0: and is, is that something you're hearing from other readers?
1: Um, well, I suppose Tess's nature, she's an, she's an introvert, you know, so she gets her energy from within. So she has a greater value in the inner world. So by the outer world, you know, she, she is quiet and she is solitary, but that doesn't have less value for Tess. No. Um, but to, 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 to onlookers, it looks like she's not mediating the world and not living and engaging it, because we live in such an extroverted society. that That's how success is measured, and that's how articulacy is measured. But um, I do get asked if Tess would have been different had her mother lived. Um, And I, I have thought about that a lot, and I think her inherent nature would still be the same, because when we encounter her at age seven, her mother has just died. And she's still hypersensitive to the world around Absolutely. her. Absolutely. So she's Absolutely. had her mother, beloved mother up until then. I think that what her what her mother probably would have done, she would have mediated the dangers of the world as good parents do. She would have made the world workable and, you know, mediated and navigated some of those fears that a small chi- an introverted child, would have, and maybe made the world more safe in some ways. But I think her inherent nature is how it is you know I don't know mm-hmm. that she would be that different or that robust in the world I think interiorly she's robust she enough she is hmm. she is and at the end
2: you certainly get the sense that she's lived her life and she, she accepted so
1: much of what happened to her and she had so much you know forgiveness and I think she I don't know but I think she'd probably this because uh, you know um, her life in the long run is not no is not more remarkable than most people's lives if you think about it over a long life she suffered some loss love went wrong you know she was a single mother it's not that extraordinary for ordinary lives Um, I think that she might have said that in all of it even when love goes wrong when life goes wrong nothing is wasted because Consciousness is expanded, and maybe the heart is enlarged as well. You know that over it all, she does walk on, obedient to fate. But I think she has expanded her own consciousness.
0: Look, and are there parts of the book that 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 you go back to?
1: Yeah,
3: I mean, I really enjoyed the book. It's great to great to meet the author um, a week after reading it, and uh, you know, put a sort of a face to the to the story because I could clearly tell there was a few parts that you had some experience of in your own life, be it your own or be it uh, family. Curiously, my own mother's mother died when she was a toddler as well. And, um, you know, she she had it very rough. And I think one of the things that comes across in the book is the ridiculous way people treated death years ago. It was okay for adults to mourn, but not for kids. And nothing was done to help little Tess Nobody even had a word for her to say, you know, how are you feeling? Like, and in fact, something I was talking to a friend of mine about there recently was when people lost their parents in school when we were kids, nobody said anything to them, you know, not even a teacher. It was just like they came back to school and they went about their everyday life. But obviously they were deeply scarred for the rest of their lives. And I mean, I, I, I think it was very clever the way you allowed her to be a single parent and then i don't want to spoil the end either but you know there was a nice bit of repetition there like a bit of cyclicality about the whole um single parenthood going on there and i really enjoyed it but i uh, especially love the new york part and i agree with you Orna everybody loves new york it's you know it's where the real excitement is and uh, for it to come from the 1940s yeah it right in up 1944,
1: to 1944 i think yeah.
3: right up to our own time right up to you know few years ago was 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 really well done in that respect and the
0: it's it's your 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 previous book is a short book of short stories yeah. very acclaimed um, and so I guess it's not a surprise that you packed so much into and you said that it's a small book lokin earlier yeah. but you, you there's there's such a huge life lived within within the, this the, the, the book tell us about that process tell us about How hard, was it hard to to, to write to that length or did that matter or how did it happen?
1: I didn't expect it would be a short book. I actually thought I was going to write a long book and I was, you know, slightly surprised myself. But... um, I, I gather notes for ages before I start anything, whether it's a story or the novel, so I accumulate a lot of notes. Um, James Salter said he always... A lot of writers do this, write notebooks, and he called it his ammo, so we have to have a lot of ammo before you get started, so that's the way I have to function as well. I do everything except start because I need that security. It's the raw material, and I work off the notes to a large extent. But um, So I was, I was writing the notebooks, and I had it, and I, you know, I was putting off getting started... Um, And then a few, you know, a few things um, aligned to make the the thing happen. My uncle, who had inherited my mother's old home place, died a few summers ago. And I was at his funeral and things happened. You know, I I was looking down over the land at one point and just um, I just had an image again of Tess looking there as I was looking. And we were driving along the funeral cortege and I was looking down over the walls at The fields and the trees and you know all the outbuildings and I just thought yeah this this has to be written you know I felt something of the land and and the tragedy of the land as well Um, so I started shortly and also I'd been to New York I'd spent a summer in New York in 2011 and um, Tess was forming in me at that stage and I was going up every day to Inwood that area where I've set the novel uh, Academy Street, it's the last stop on the A train, two hundred fourth Street, I think it is. And I was walking around the streets there, and and I, and that's where my aunt had lived. And a lot of Irish. It's it's quite a Hispanic neighborhood now, but a lot of Irish live there. And it really had. A, it, I really felt it. And what it what I thought a lot about was that generation of Irish men and women, my my parents' generation, because a lot of them did go abroad. But even the ones who stayed at home, I always. I think there's something. Um, there was something very sincere or earnest about that generation or that's my feeling of them anyway and i see it in photographs and their stories you know the men in suits um and something very innocent as well mm-hmm. a lack of cynicism entirely that that's my experience of them um and i just had a feeling of them you know setting out for american you know young and hopeful falling in love and everything and of course a lot of the dreams came undone as they do in life in general as they do for Tess. but that's the story of most people not maybe not everybody's life but they're certainly not as hopeful they don't turn out as hopeful as people expect um so i came back anyway and i started the, the novel the the following Octu- uh, september i think it was so i wrote the children the, the early section um very much i wrote the novel fairly in a linear fashion very chronologically um i wrote the test section the child section in the present tense because um a child is, lives very much in the moment. They very live nice. very yeah. much in the sensory yeah. moment. The senses, they live through their senses. So, you know, they don't have much forethought of the, fu- of the future or they don't even think of the past very much. They think, oh, I need to pee or there's a stone in my shoe or I'm hungry. And they live very much, you know, in the alive present, like an animal in a way, that heightened sensory awareness and alert to everything around them. Um, so the present tense just... It, it felt yeah, like the way that, to stay the close up
3: kind of sentences there, like the small short yeah. sort of uh, you know it was quite exciting uh,
1: yeah and and you're up close, very intimate with with the child's very reality, you know, quite quite close so um and i with each chapter I wrote, I rewrote it in the way I would a, a short story when you're writing a short story, you do many many, many drafts, you know i you know you're the first drafts are absolutely terrible. They're appalling, you know. So you go. You, it's a lot. It's about getting the language right and the words right and each sentence right. So I kind of did a bit a bit of that with the novel uh, with each chapter in a way so that before i moved on to each chapter i knew the trajectory of tess's life anyway i knew i didn't know every detail for instance i had no idea where willa came from willa her black friend i was writing that scene where tess is coming home from work it's a terrible february evening she's six or eight months pregnant she's sore back she's climbing the stairs exhausted the train was late and she leans on the banister and a door opens and this black woman walks out to put, put garbage in the garbage chute and I was literally writing that scene when the door opened and a black woman walked out. I had no idea she was going to happen. So even though I, I knew Tess's, the trajectory of Tess's life, I didn't know all the details of what would happen. You know, Boris, the Russian man as well. Those things came into it. But in general, I knew what was, I knew the outline of the whole story. Um, but I didn't think of it being uh-huh. a short novel. But yes, I worked on each chapter um, like that. And that's how it came out. Yeah. Um, I... I, li- I like short novels myself. Um, I also... I'm afraid of boring the reader as well, you know, literally, because I, you know, novels sometimes flag in the middle and, you know, I was very alert to well, that. I
2: think one of the nice things about the shortness of it is that you didn't feel that you had to ram it with all the details of the time, so you didn't have to tell us about the price of... You know, laundry soap, or where she bought her hats, or anything like that. You you said this is where she lives, and we got the sense of her from the way she she is, or she was. We didn't need to know too much detail about the neighborhood because you kind of picked it up in very small ways. So we didn't have to be bored nearly by. Sometimes you know, other writers feel that they have to give you every little bit of detail just to make sure you you knew you know you know where you're supposed to be.
1: Because yeah. I no, think I with think a
2: short novel like this, it's wonderful that you're able to, you know, sort of give us the sense of it without have, you know, having yeah. to tell us yeah. everything.
0: And
1: a writer, I think, respects the reader enough to assume that they're bringing a lot to it themselves, you know, so you don't have to...
0: Loathe them. Logan uh. can I ask,
3: is this a book that men should read? Well, most definitely. I, I didn't feel like it was a, 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 a woman's book. In fact, I, I didn't think about that till, till you said it now. Um, I didn't even feel like I was reading a book written by a woman. Um, I didn't think there was anything in it that men would not get at all. Uh, obviously, the two strongest characters are female, like Willa. I would venture to say Willa is the strongest character because everybody relies on her and hopes that she's going to sort it all out. But. You know, even when Willa's husband, um, Darius. Darius, that brilliant name, the king, <laughs> is um, is so sick. She still comes out to help Tess. She still travels the long distance. And I got a bit angry with Tess sometimes, like the way she sent them all home at nighttime beyond midnight. And I was kind of going, what about Willa? How is she going to get home now? You know, it's late. <laughs> it's not her neighborhood. And in fact, sometimes, I mean, I did like Tess and I felt for her and, I, I, I'm not the kind of guy who'd be crying when when I don't cry much at all but uh, only when I'm really drunk but um <laughs> I, I, I do um uh, uh, I did feel almost quite upset with her and for her upset uh, with her when she didn't make the right decisions you know she should have gone and chased up that relationship she should have she should have spent years trying to find him and say look here's your son right and the sadness of him not knowing that he actually had a son as well, right? And the sadness of the son, not knowing that he had a father, right? You know, it could have been so different for them and clearly he did love uh, uh, Tess as well, like he was drawn to her. Do you her. think he did? The son or are you talking about the son? The, or uh, the, the father. David. Well, I thought the father um, certainly loved her, but maybe I misinterpreted that. What do you that. think, Orna? I wasn't so sure.
2: I I've, I mm, I felt that he was drawn to her and she was drawn to him for the same reason that they kind of recognised each other but that he didn't want that kind of introspection and he didn't want that examination going on all the time and he could sense that she was a very deep sort of person and he needed to be drawn out of himself by the lovely lady from Peru or whatever so... I felt it was, it was wonder, I mean, she was kind of a saint really, Tess, that she could yeah. turn around and say that he, he would have given it to her if he'd had it to give, but he didn't have it to give, um, and therefore she would let him go, she sort of mentally let him go, I think. And there's that great line in that a lot of love is actually mercy. She was merciful towards him and she wanted his life to be good. Whereas, you know, the rest of us would have been there saying, sticking needles into him, into into a little voodoo doll of him. But she sort of had overcome that and and, and wanted a good life for him. And at that him.
1: stage anyway, you know, it was probably a year after. But in the beginning, I think she was, you know, angry and fraught. And, you know, after the first... And, of course, she was occupied with her son at that stage as well. So She
2: was so disconnected, though, in some ways, from her family. I mean, again, you would have thought that somebody would have stepped in on her behalf with the cousin, Anne or whatever, that she could have been somebody who could have gone to him and said, look, do you realize that you've got a baby? On, you know, that...
1: Yeah. There
2: was a bit of a lack didn't of those, tell those kind of relationships.
1: Yeah. And but also 1963.
2: So Of course, there was the whole shame thing yeah. that she does you know, talk about very well. But that sense that you're a family, you've got a family, but you don't really have a family. And that was the other very striking thing about this book. The fact that her brother, who she loved, was there, but he had turned to the... He went, sauce, you know, yeah. to the bath. Yeah. And then her lovely sister who had, you know, sort of gone mm. out to California. So even though she had lots of family, mm-hmm. she didn't really have anyone. That, I found that, that was very a, poignant. Yeah, I
0: found that very, very, mm-hmm. very hard also because you could see her losing all these relationships yeah. or allowing them yeah. to drift away from her. And she didn't feel that she had any role in keeping them, that it was their choice if, if they decided to stay close. Yeah. But she somehow had no control over that because she could have gone to California.
3: She could have yeah. found a job. But she there. should have yeah. done. Her sister was so ill holding her back.
2: Well, that's true. She was in her own little bubble, maybe. Yeah, and yeah. that. Why didn't she go to her sister, Mary? Well,
1: um, we're very <laughs> upset about that Because the sister was a lovely,
2: lovely person who do, could have done with a bit mm. of a dig yeah. out.
1: Well, you see, she, Tess has just given birth. Uh, so she's only a year in the country uh. when she gives birth. Everything is still very. You, even her Aunt Molly castigates her when she comes with the bump you know, when she turns up in the door and she said, you better be getting married, madam, you know, yeah, so who's that. the... Fo- so Tess, at that moment, had to make a brave decision. OK, I'm never going to apologise for this again. So she put the fence up around her and had her baby. Claire, her beloved sister, moved to California and was ill. California, 1963, the whole width. Mm-hmm. Tess has just given birth. She has to go back to work. Who's going to...
3: Who? Yeah, yeah.
1: How will she go to... You know, yeah. you know, people forget the travel, air travel like we mm-hmm. have now... Um, when my mother's sisters and brother were in America, their father died in 1966, and none of them came home for the funeral. People didn't travel like They're we do now. It was for very wealthy people almost. Yeah. You know, they flew back eventually, but people didn't fly across the country, um, especially a single mother who had to, who had a job and no support. So, I think that if if I you know I did think about that, would she have gone to California? I thought. I've just given birth. I'm a single mother. I'm a nurse. I have to pay my rent. I have no support. How can I go to California? How mm-hmm. how would yeah, I hopefully. even organise it? Yeah,
0: and I guess yeah, it's as far from Ireland as as New, New York, York was, or what have you. Yeah. Um, what about Theo though? He turned out to be quite a bad egg. I thought in the end, I was qu- quite riled up about him every time he wasn't a good son in my mind. What about did yeah. you think? Yeah.
3: yeah, he didn't he he didn't behave um, as a son should. In in many of those situations, um, you 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 know he he surely looked back and went this woman raised me on her own, brought me all the way up to college, single handedly paying for everything. I think he got a little job, didn't he, here and there to help get through college, but uh, yeah, I didn't really really like him, you know. I wanted to. What about you, Orna? Uh,
2: well, I I. I thought it was going to go right. I mean, in the beginning, this lovely boy, and she's obviously such a wonderful mother to him, and that came across to me terribly real. Then the you know alienation of his teen years, which you can understand. There's yeah. anger, and he's looking for something else, and she's not able to provide it. I I'm I'm not sure about her asking him for forgiveness, but you know maybe you would have done. I I just wonder at that point, could she have been stronger and been a little bit tougher on him saying look this is it's you and me Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know we're the unit you've got to look after me and i will look after you i was a bit disappointed that he when he came good with his great you know mathematical brain and followed (coughs) the you know american dream or whatever of getting the great job that he that he didn't maybe look after her better but you know, maybe that's again looking for the fairy tale ending yeah. and looking for the oh, I'll put you up I, in a fabulous house, th- mum yeah. and I'll do all this. So, you know, that d- maybe like, real it doesn't life isn't no, isn't like that. And he was, he was lovely to her after her incident, or whatever, and and yeah. sat with her, and that was a kind of a coming together. Mm. But
3: but too and late. I, yeah. I
1: think that. Um, I mean, I'd kill it, my own son if he did that. Yes, <laughs> uh, yeah. and I think that, you know. It realistically, Tess you know was consi- she was you know she was quite a suffocating mother for a teenage boy if you're a teenage boy i had I had teenage brothers, both parents were there, <laughs> neither of them were suffocated but um teenage teenagers and I did it try and shrug off their parents at best anyway now, if you have a very suffocating mother who who loves you intensely, you are the world to her, and you're a teenage boy, I think you'll try and shrug her off and shake her off a little bit. And even though, you know, later on he turned out good, Theo turned out good, we carry our complexes into our adulthood. We may be aware of them fully, you know, but we still carry them in, and with the best intentions in the world, we can still be, we can revert to type when the crisis comes, you know. Um, but I think Tess did feel guilty that she deprived him of a father. So. And he did understand, you know, in the end. It's just, you know, people don't always express it.
3: Yeah. Mm. He, 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 he probably, under most normal circumstances, some man would have come into their life um, as a sort of a surrogate father. Uh, but she did sort of. She didn't she didn't go that route, you know, whereas whereas most people um, most people will find someone will sort of, you know, come in one way or another. But I guess I guess even it's normally true family or true friends. And she didn't have enough of that around or for that to happen. So she's
1: also a woman of her time. I mean, I think that that generation of Irish women, you know, they, they lived quite. Chaste lives yeah. they weren't part of the counterculture in america certainly mm-hmm. you know what i mean so they went to mass and yeah. she they, just
0: did it once yeah, she, right?
1: yes exactly yeah. Yeah. but yeah.
0: then developed such a hunger for mm-hmm. something Sensuality. intimate yeah. yeah tell us about that like what yeah. did everybody yeah. like <laughs> i i hadn't i hadn't i would never have dreamt it up but when it happened i went of course yeah, that would happen
3: yeah, yeah yeah that was nice that was, that was, that that
2: was, was very nice yeah. what what how how could it have gone further? Could it have gone further? I thought, that, you know, I always think something
1: would go further, but uh, oh, the need to to are you mean the main, on the, the Willa? subway? Yeah. We're both on no, the both. subway, yeah. I guess. Yeah. 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 I think that, um, you know, she'd, you know, the, the the human need for intimacy came out came out in her, and she'd had no intimacy, you know, apart from holding her son, let's say, but the the absolute hunger for human touch, yeah. um, at certain moments came out so much that she touched strangers on the, the subway or she had this need and there was a moment with her friend. But yes, w- I think it's just a normal human need for intimacy and touch um, that overwhelmed her at moments. Mm-hmm.
3: Um, I thought that bit was quite funny. I was giggling a little bit like at the notion <laughs> of her kind of, you know, trying to snuggle up to the stranger beside her on the subway. And, and, and I really liked the way when she was pregnant, to jump back a bit, that she pretended to sit beside, or she prete- she pretended her husband was sitting beside her. So she uh-huh. chose any eligible man on the subway to just sit there and show her ring, like, and kind of go, "Here's my husband's." Like, you know, it's, so it's, it's, I'm all right, I'm all right. <laughs> that was yeah. it was. It really yeah, it was I mean, there are not a huge amount of laughs in the book. It's, no, it's not a, you know, <laughs> it's not certainly not a, 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 a comedy. And you want to be in the right frame of mind when you when you when you read it. But at the very end, there is a nice bit of relief. You know, there's there's like, look, it's all starting again, you know, as she that's what I read into mm, it, you know, yeah. as as she drove away.
1: I think it um, is. I think there is hope in the end. You yeah, know, it's not. Mm. You know, Tess has learned, you know, that like I was saying earlier, consciousness has expanded. And also Tess has always had um, a need f- to put her finger on something, you know, to touch something numinous, maybe. And and she gets it in literature. She 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 encountered in. She encountered it in love, and with a son, so she knows what she's had, and this is it, you know. Yeah, yeah. And that is it for most people. They plow on, put one foot in front of the other. Yeah,
3: yeah. Did, did, didn't you think um, she might possibly want to stay in Ireland, or what drove her back to the states? Was she now, or is there a part would, two? It, was strange. she now going to, <laughs> was she now going to be in touch with her grandchildren more? Can you tell us that?
1: I, I don't think, Our, I don't know, really. Right. I think that uh, she would have been a stranger if she had settled back in Easterfield yeah. or near it. They were, even when she went into the kitchen at her brother's funeral at the end, they were all family, but they were all semi-strangers, so they yeah. were being polite to her. She had, yeah. you know, it was 40, 50, 40 years probably. Here's
3: your great aunt. You yes. Know, so so
1: her life was there in New York, going to her library, meeting Willa, you know, walking the streets, going to a musical recital every now and again. Mm-hmm. She, she had actually, she had a rich enough life.
3: Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. And the, you did get that wonderful sense of the, you know, the person who had been away for so many years, you know, coming back. And and, I mean, you know, you're too young actually to know. But there, are, <laughs> Sorry, uh, I would I said, know. I would <laughs> have had no. I would have known aunts like that coming uh, yes. back and friends uh, no, of aunts. Them, yeah. and, they were just they were wonderful their dresses were wonderful and their handbags and their hair and their paste earrings they were all fantastic but they they weren't of the place they were you know they smoked and they had funny shades of lipstick and things like that they were just different and you could have it wouldn't have been they wouldn't have wanted to have been there they were really fish out of water and if they did stay in my experience drink would have come into the situation you know there were lots of people who you knew mm -hmm. who had come back from and who were in you know reduced i guess once you've tasted
3: the united states like and the freedom that's over there how do you
2: explain it to the people back home you can't really come back might have been very narrow-minded exactly. and, and, and had actually knocked down the house that's what i couldn't get over yes yeah. yeah she that's came like back and that. all she was <laughs> looking at was the footprint of the house mm-hmm. i mean that's a mm-hmm. very radical yeah and it was going yeah. to be
3: one of those ugly bungalows wasn't it like it had to be uh one of those sort yeah. of
2: nice serviceable bungalow
1: yeah, yeah. but yeah. it's a big thing now to knock down a big house yeah. whatever but it about knocking in the down, country, down lots little... of places you know what i mean in in the past um due to circumstances people didn't have the money to keep it up or you know different, but usually different you'd reasons. See
2: the house sort of crumbling away yeah. to the side, and they'd mm. have built a new thing
1: yeah. whereas this was just. But yes American aunts and uncles even when, when I was growing up um, there were photographs always at home of aunts and uncles. Those aunts and uncles you know and I'd be rummaging through my mother's wardrobe and they always looked so glamorous and it was you know photographs yeah. left over from Gorgeous. the 60s the with satin dresses shining, yeah, yeah, and you know Older holding teeth. cigarette holders. <laughs> I actually thought my, I thought they were Irish film stars you know they looked so yeah. much more beautiful than my Irish relatives downstairs or up Max. the road, they looked so glamorous and you know earrings and clutch bags and they looked as if you they know were they were going, going up to
2: dinner dances the or, whole time they looked, yeah,
1: they looked as if they were going to a dinner party in the Upper West Side but really they were probably going to a Cayley in the Bronx, you yeah. know that's, but they had that sort of a look about them and they, you know they looked like the Kennedys as well yeah. and there was a time I thought we were related to the Kennedys just from the photographs we <laughs> were coming home <laughs> because they look so lovely. We weren't. <laughs>
0: uh, Mary, if I can ask you, as our, our time is winding down very quickly, um, you won Eason Novel of the Year for this last year at the Irish Book Awards. Can you tell us what that was like to win?
1: Um, it was lovely, of course. It was, it was a great surprise. And... Um, and it was a real honour because, the, the, uh, you know, I was chuffed to be in that company. There were, there were great books on the list um, and the book had just come out. So it was a nice validation. It, it got a nice start, you know.
0: And the and what are you working on now?
1: Um, well, I'm supposed to be working on another novel, but I'm, I'm not really working these days. My book is coming out in America this month, so I'm going over there next week. And... So I've I have a lot of bits to do around the book. That's and going to that, be very
0: exciting. Yeah, coming for this to come out in America.
1: It is, yeah. Um, I think pff, I don't <laughs> know. i haven't been there yet, but yes, I'm sure. Well, it you is. must
0: be. You're looking forward to it.
1: I am. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I, I really I can't seem to work when there's a few things on. You know, I've festivals to do, and I'm going to London next week, Waterstones and reading, and different things like that. And they all seem to chop up time or. I'm just not able to multitask greatly, anyway. So I need a great swath of time to have space in my head to work on something. I can't work in the gaps, mm-hmm. so I just have to, you know, go along and give up. And
0: are you enjoying yourself?
1: I am. It's. It's. I, I also feel very lucky. I'm very grateful. You know, I. I'm really grateful that you know people like the book or even if they don't you know yeah. um i feel very lucky because i didn't think it would happen you know i was I'm writing for years
3: mary can i ask you a question did you always want to be a novelist no it was a, a, a thing a little bit later in life it was really? well
1: um you know i I, I, never to be a chi- uh, I never wanted to be a child i never wanted to be a child i never <laughs> well, lots of children do. <laughs> <lots of laughs> I never, ne- <laughs> I never wanted to be a writer as a child, for instance. Um, it was never on my ri- radar even when I went to college. I studied English, but and then I was I was teaching up until a few years ago. Um, when I was twenty two, uh, something was knowing at me. I'm not sure what. I there was something knowing, and I couldn't put my finger on it. And I, you know, I was happy, and I was teaching up until at the time. And I was going out with the man I eventually married, and and. Uh, but something was knowing. and I went through a period of insomnia. And then one night, out of nowhere, I just thought, "I want to write." Not that I want to be a writer; I just want to write. Um, and I started writing short stories, and a few of them were published in my twenties. And then I uh, I got married when I was twenty three, so, and I was teaching full time, and writing slipped to the margins. Then, um, you know, I. I don't know why I couldn't teach and be married and write something. I'm not able to multitask. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I tried to give up writing because it felt like a burden. Stories would come up and I'd have to write them. And and I wasn't a part of any writing community either. You know, so um, I, would, I would kept on writing against my will in some ways. Stories would come up and I'd write it and I'd say, I'm giving it up now. And then if, six months later, another story would come up. And all through my 30s, my marriage broke up in my early 30s. But then... Um, Later on, I, I just thought I'll either have to give this up for good or give it one last shot. So in 2010, I sent two stories to the Stingy Fly magazine, and mm-hmm. they liked them and they wanted to publish the others, and that's how my collection came about. I'll talk.
0: I'll talk. Fantastic. Um, our time is up, amazingly. That's that was a wonderful conversation. Um, I'd like to thank our guests, uh, Mary Costello. Orna Mulcahy and Lorcan Collins once again for joining us here in the studio in Tower Street. Signed today was by J.J. Vernon. If you, the listener, haven't already done so, please log on to irishtimes.com forward slash books and register to join the book club and read along with us. I'm Gary Quinn, and this has been
2: the Irish Times Books Podcast.